Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Operation Alpha. Today I have Richard Blank on the show. Um, before we get into Richard, I want to sort of give the new listeners a sort of introduction to Operation Alpha. Uh, for those that don't know, and this is your first episode, the podcast is sort of really trying to capture the entrepreneurship spirit. Um, really going to dive a little bit deeper into operations and people who are sort of in the business world, have scaled businesses, have operated and worked in them, knowing how hard operations is to run. I um, wanted to give you guys an idea of what it takes to make it and the grind that it you know, ultimately ensues. So with that being said, Richard, I'd love to, for you to introduce yourself. Michael, thank you so much for having me here today on the Operation Alpha podcast. Um, it's great to be here. I enjoy your work and I have tons of great things to share with your audience today. All right, cool. So yeah, just tell me a little bit about, you know, the businesses that you've run um, and kind of sort of like how you've gotten to where you've gotten today. I'm almost a one hit wonder. This is the first company I ever started. So I'm pretty much on my, my 14 year run here, but it cool. goes back and we spoke prior to this podcast episode that you're in Jersey and I'm a Philadelphia boy. So we're very familiar with the Northeast. I, when I graduated Abington High School back in 1991, I chose to become a Spanish major at the University of Arizona. I also chose to be a communication major as well, to study public speaking, rhetoric, and nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. I interned for Telemundo during college to get work experience, and post-grad, I worked for the importers of Corona. So all the jobs that I chose, I, I didn't follow the path of my friends that did medicine, law, engineering, and architecture, even I believe. I was more of a dreamer and a risk taker. And so post-grad, I was working in jobs that involved Spanish promotions, public relations, and sales. And at 27, I had the opportunity to come to Costa Rica for just a couple months because a friend of mine owned a call center. Mm -hmm. And I decided to take it. Mm -hmm. And two months turned into four years. Mm -hmm. I put my stuff in storage, worked at the call center, and it was really my graduate school, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And then um, in my mid-30s, I felt I was mature enough and had impulse control that I was ready to throw my hat in the ring and start a company. So in essence, my friend, I've been in the business for 22 years, mm-hmm. and I started my own call center 14 years ago, mm-hmm. and we have currently have 150 seats, mm-hmm. and this is where we are today. Nice. So that's impressive. I know that um, a lot of people probably have never, you know, ever talked to someone who actually runs a call center. So, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's like we've probably all interacted with someone at a call center. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, it's it's people, you know, in India or maybe Southeast Asia. So I'm curious how Costa Rica fits into this landscape. That's an extremely intelligent question. You're maybe referring more towards offshore BPO mm-hmm. compared to nearshore, which is North proximates of the United States. And, and a lot of your audience have seen movies like Boiler Room, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and, and some call center environments are like that. Mm. But a lot of it has to depend on the vertical and the profile of the agent. Mm. And so in Costa Rica, we're exceptionally uh, competitive mm. because of the language capacity, you know, mm. bilingual English, Spanish, also mm. close to the United States. We're able to scale here because of our labor force. We have a 95% literacy rate and a democratic society with an amazing infrastructure. But Amazon is here. Mm. HP, Intel, and Oracle are here. So, you know, Michael, they're snatching up a lot of the entry-level staff, which Mm -hmm. is fine because, Mm -hmm. once again, they're training these individuals and there is an attrition. But in order for me to scale my business, 
-hmm. I have to bring in some people that might be bilingual, college educated, but no experience in a call center. Mm. And so it's extremely important for me to onboard them properly with all of the resources. So mm. it reduces any sort of fear that they have. Mm. And also check this out. By becoming bilingual is 10 times harder than any job that they're about to do with me. Yeah. So I have to put that sort of priorities into perceptive where they're able to realize that they are capable of doing this job. Mm-hmm. And so once I can start with that and mold them without any bad habits, it's extremely easy to onboard and get somebody up to speed using the call center equipment and making calls. Mm-hmm. So what are the type of customers that are, you know, sort of um, would need to utilize a call center like yourself? Many different types. I mean, you have certain companies that are very small and they're working out of an office or virtual where they need to, uh, they don't have enough volume for full-time agents. They might use us for some sort of overflow before or after hours or weekend work. A lot of times they'd like to use us to be able to compare apples because mm-hmm. if you have six people working in your office manual dialing compared to the infrastructure and resources we have with a predictive dialer, quality mm-hmm. assurance department, redundancy in regards to internet connection, a backup generator so we don't go down with electricity and an immediate IT support, those things alone will just increase your chance of being stable and being able to fulfill an entire day. Mm. Um, Also, in addition to that, we are experts in script writing rebuttals. Mm. And as I was mentioning before, a lot of the clients come to me with the ambition, they just don't have the experience. And it's my pleasure to be able to share with them all of the different resources and things that we have here in order to enhance their skills. But, um, and also a lot of companies in the United States because of the costs, things are going up in the States. We could be considered about 70% of what people earn in the States. Mm. But once again, in the United States, a lot of people see telemarketing as you know, a transitional type of job. In Costa Rica, Michael, these jobs pay more than most vocations. Mm. I have people here, if they're very skilled on the phone, can actually earn more than a doctor and an attorney. So we have some people that are brilliant that are working at the call center. Mm. Wow, that's that's crazy. So are you talking about call centers as in terms of the sales side or more the service and like help side? Wonderful. In fact, it let me give you the Bottom to the top, you can start with non-voice omni-channel support, which is just pure chat, mm-hmm. email template support. Then you can go to inbound customer support. You can have back office support where people are assisting companies. We do uh, customer support, lead generation, appointment setting, and then the top level would be sales. We don't really mess too much with technical support because HP, they're, they're masters in that. And if, and if anything, we do just simple level one support. So Mm -hmm. people don't need to have any sort of certain uh, computer degrees to be able to take those positions. This is one or two weeks worth of training. Mm -hmm. We're selective of the campaigns. Michael, this is a very strict Catholic country. So I could always fulfill the client's needs. The question is, can I fill the agent's needs? Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure that they can go home and tell their parents what they do for a living. So besides wanting to grow, I believe that I turn down more campaigns that I accept coming into the center. Wow. So that's impressive. A lot of people, I will say, 
I think anyone in entrepreneurship has probably met people who have either a have just taken more business um, and it might not have been the right business at the time to take um, could have been, but needed to do for money. So I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into maybe the decisions that you've made of like why you decided to turn down stuff um, and like how you just, de- how you decide to turn down stuff and like sort of what is the, the thought there and like, how do you build that kind of um, mentality? I think the first thing is that the client needs to have respect for the Costa Rican labor laws. Mm -hmm. They might not understand it, and it's my pleasure to walk them through it, but a lot of the things that are done in the States cannot be done here legally, and I don't want to try to bend the rules when I'm following the rules. That's number one. Number two, I'd like for them to be realistic in regards to their expectations. I'm not saying that I can't, but if I'm 50% more than what they're paying, let's say in India and the Philippines that you mentioned, which is fine. It's, I like friendly competition. If I can put your list in a predictive dialer compared to manual dialing, if I can do the richer training, if I can onboard and give the motivation and confidence, maybe I can do 0.5 more an hour. I, I could do 50% more in regards to sales. But if you're asking me to double the amount of calls where you can only really speak to 10 people an hour, but you want me to do 20, I, I can't make up time. And so people have to be realistic on what we're capable of doing. But if they put me on a level playing field and I can show that, that I'm capable of bringing in that amount of volume for the price that I'm charging, then I win the account and get the seats. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, I, I just don't want any surprises. Mm-hmm. I always feel, Michael, that the best relationship is not when the house is burning down. Mm-hmm. But if something comes up, you immediately contact the client through multiple channels and, and you let him know what's going on, but also offer multiple suggestions. And I'm never afraid of losing an account. I'm always concerned of the fact of someone not being capable of receiving sort of feedback. Mm-hmm. And if I'm able to have that sort of relationship with a client where everyone can leave something on the table and be forthright with one another, there's no reason why that we can't weather any storms and build that sort of confidence and grow together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when it comes to sort of like scaling the business, um, like I would love to learn. So I, I have, so maybe you could, from what I understand, um, you know, you're working in a call center and you sort of decided to start your own call center. Um, is that generally like, how was that decision made slash like, how was scaling? Um, if you can give me any indication on like, you know, your first customers and like how you decided to like ramp up from there. It's a wonderful story to tell, but let me give you a precursor to that. So I was at my friend's call center for four years mm-hmm. and he was very generous with his time. So I got to learn customer support, retention, human resources, onboarding, accounting, even affiliate management. So I got to learn search engine optimization. And after working there for four years and doing my own due diligence from the inside and out, naturally, you feel like you understand the business, minus the contracts and some of the you know, financials of setting up a company. So then what happened? As I mentioned, I was in my mid-30s and I was mature and ready enough and had some money saved where I could take off a year, set up a website and start bringing in business. Now, the website went up October 4th, 2007. I landed my first account February 6th of 2008. One seat, 50 hours. What do I do? I'm literally working out of my home. So what I did was I contacted very close to my home, a 100 seat call center that was more of a blended mixed center, almost like a glorified um, internet cafe where I could rent a station 
for $200 a month. Now it's an open floor plan. And so for $200, they had some IT support, some security, lights were turned on, coffee in the, in the kitchen, and that was it. And so one by one, I was filling those seats where it was turnkey for me, where I could pay the agent, pay the taxes, pay the rent, and make my own margin. But once you start reaching a couple dozen agents, it didn't make really any sense to give this individual three, four, five thousand $5,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So I waited a while, saved enough money, and it cost me about sixty-five grand mm-hmm. to build out a 150-seat center that I was renting. Mm-hmm. So I rented the space, built out the server room, bought the equipment. You could buy these turnkey stations for like 1500 bucks for a set of three. Mm-hmm. Well, why not buy beautiful pine wood and make them for $500 and it's brand new where they can write on it and spill things on it. And so I I made beautiful wood furniture, but bought the chairs, the computers, the shebang, but I was able to save, you know, at least $30,000 just on that furniture. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of money went into my equipment, which then went into the accounts that I brought over and started building. Mm -hmm. Six years later, I'd saved enough money to build a 300 seat, three floor center that I just moved all my equipment on, built additional equipment, upgraded my furniture. And now you're seeing behind me the 1958 bricks of my building. Beautiful. It's slow and steady. My my grandparents taught me something. They said, if you can't pay for it in cash, don't do it. Now, a lot of my financial friends and consultants said, Richard, why didn't you take a loan out? You could have grown quicker. But you were mentioning something earlier. I mean, the ups and downs of business and possibly going out of business. Mm-hmm. I lost my largest account in 2010. So I went from like 89 seats down to four. And I learned a huge lesson not to put all my eggs in one basket, but I also learned a great lesson. The fact that I was saving my money for so long meant that I didn't almost go out of business. I lost an account, but I had enough money where it sustained me for at least six months so I could build the seats back again. Mm. And I didn't have to ask anybody for a loan and I wasn't worried at night. I, I had plenty of acorns to, to weather the winter. And so any advice I could give to a CEO is, yes, if you're being successful, buy some Ricolas, go out and enjoy dinners and, and, and treat yourself. But you'd be very foolish not to put money aside just in case something happens in business, because a run is what you call a run. They eventually end. It could be one day. It could be 14 years. And at the stage that I'm at right now, I'm at a certain financial level where I'm very comfortable, where I own my building. We have plenty of reserves. Your friend can sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And so being a CEO, I'm not walking around the office stressed, knowing that if I lose an account, they're going to turn my lights off. No, I, I don't need to beg and mm-hmm. I don't need to do things unethically in order to keep business. So it's these sort of old school teachings that came from my family mm-hmm. because my great grandparents were entrepreneurs that came from Europe. My grandparents, my father, everyone was an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. it's in our family. And the one thing that was passed down from generation to generation is cash. Mm-hmm. As long as you got the cash and no credit, no loans, no mortgages, you're going to do just fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, that's one topic um, that I love um, that actually hasn't been brought up too much um, is that what's crazy is um, I, I recently, I don't know if for the people who listen to the show, um, I'm huge fans of the All In podcast. Um, and this is where I got from. I'm not sure if you if you know who they are. Um, do you if you're listening to them at all? Sounds familiar. Okay. Um, so basically, there are a bunch of uh, VCs, and one of the things that they were saying is, 
you know, within the last six months, um, the market has changed dramatically, right? Like the market for capital has changed dramatically and it really changed from sort of like a, the best analogy I've heard was that it's sort of like a poker game where instead of a cash game where you can just kind of rebuy and get new funding and new money to, you know, to keep playing the game, it's sort of like now a poker tournament, whereas like you now need to play hands for survival. You can't just take risk. And because once you're out of the game, you're out of the game, you, you continue, you don't win anymore. Right. So knowing that, you know, you took, um, you know, you saved that money um, and sort of didn't take a loan to, to accelerate that business. I think that's one of the most fascinating things is that it goes against what a lot of founders are doing, like have done in the, in the past, um, you know, a couple number of decades, maybe years is that, I also sort of agree with that is that, you know, the best businesses, in my opinion, are run on that cash uh, level of like, hey, if you have cash, let's, you know, use that efficiently and how, and it teaches, I think it teaches you to be a different CEO slash kind of how that works. I would love to dive a little bit deeper into just that in itself. You know, how are, like, does that decision-making still stand for you today? Like, how do you sort of approach that uh, mentality with your business of knowing that, you know, it's a rain, it could be a rainy day, um, but, you know, now you have sort of that uh, kind of mindset in place. Well, two things, once again, and, and it's an excellent thing. I, I'm glad to be able to talk about. I've diversified my clientele base. Mm-hmm. So if I lose one, I'm okay. But no, as I mentioned before, being very selective, what comes in here only in, enables my stability, but I haven't changed. I mean, I know I'm wearing a suit now and and, and feeling good, but I'm still the same person. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something people expect me to drive a fancier car and to wear a Rolex and and to be eating lobster every day. And I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm going to tell you something. When you move outside of the United States, Michael, there's a lot of things that we treasure and hold dear in the United States or hold to high esteem that really doesn't have much value. And so here it's more of your essence. And to me, instead of seeing how much money I'm making, I'm really more focused on how many families can I feed. So I'm a spiritual guy. I sometimes believe that stars can be aligned for people. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I'm tripling down on myself from my education to this first business that I started in this career, I realized that, and even being with you here today, Mm -hmm. things like this are natural. And so I don't have that sort of fear that I would have had or apprehension in my early 20s. I'm more learned now. I'm more seasoned. I'm, I'm a bald man now. So I have that sort of wisdom. Sure. And priorities are important. If you lose your head, you start yelling at people, it could only escalate. If you're calm and cool and sometimes even laugh at it because it's at the end of the day, it's not that bad. You can solve it. Just take a breath. Sure. Um, those are the sort of, and, and also check this out. I, I surrounded myself with winners. I didn't bring in outside consultants, my supervisors, my chief technical officer, my general manager. These individuals have been with me over a decade. Mm-hmm. They started off as freshmen on a, like a five-seater campaign, but through the years we've grown together And the last thing I would do is to bring in some outside expert, unless it's a super specialist for the server room. But if we're talking about people that are going to be managing 50 people, I want someone that not only understands this culture, but contributed 
to the culture and wears our stripes well and has coffee with me in the morning and plays pinball with the agents. And so uh, unless they're willing to once again, build on our culture of empathy, of synergy, and especially gamification with our pinball machines and game room, then that's why I feel comfortable in regards to my scalability because if, if people don't quit, then I don't have attrition. If people are happy when they're here and work hard, I'm only going to grow the account and do better. So as much as I would love to teach you a financial tip and a trick or some sort of cracked code in regards to CEO, it's as basic and as simple as how you treat the people. You give them dignity. You know their name, Michael. You don't treat them like a robot or a number. And if you do things like that, they come back and your company grows. That's where the scalability and stability come from. Definitely. Um, so I'd love to shift gears um, just a little bit. Um, so when it comes to operations, you know, operations is multifaceted. You have like purchasing of materials, you have manufacturing, sales, legal, finance, marketing, um, list goes on, right? Like the list of that actually falls under CEO being, you know, in control of all those types of things. How do you sort of approach, what do you love about the operations aspect of it? Like, what are your, what are the things that you gravitate towards where and why slash like, how do you sort of manage the other parts? What I love most about my industry is that there's a lot of resources out there. For an example, there could be very large call centers that downsize and what they're doing is giving away exactly what I need. I'm not a specialist job where there's one tool I got to order from overseas to send here. If a computer goes down, I can have a brand new computer for a fraction or a used computer for a fraction of the price that that could be in here. So um, my resources are in abundance. I will never be short of something. That's number one. But here's the thing. If I show up at the store, I've seen people charge a little bit more (laughs) just because maybe I'm from the North America or they believe I have more money. So I do need certain people to negotiate for me or represent me so they can, let's just say, get the local price. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I I understand the rules. And and so it's important for me to trust individuals at my company. I I don't give them a checkbook or a credit card, Mm -hmm. but these individuals are negotiating for me on my behalf. Mm -hmm. And I have to take their word for it at the end that they've done their homework and I'm getting the best price. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the, not challenges that I have, but once again, Michael, I am a guest in this country. And as much as I'm fluent and I understand everything, you still do not have the home court advantage as you would if you grew up here. Mm, Interesting. And when it comes to sort of, um, you know, your most epic wins, I would love to hear some of the success stories along the way um, that you hold true to your heart. Could be, you know, that day where, you got, you had a big client, could be the day your first client, could be a day of like, I don't know, hiring some of the, like your best people. What are some of the, you know, epic wins um, that you've been able to have so far? My first one's my first client, the okay. gentleman that entrusted me enough to send me some money and start in a campaign with me. And I still keep in touch with him to this day and let him know he's my number one. <laughs> and um, it's more for me about the people. It's uh-huh. not about the clients or the money. I, I really get a kick out of somebody that can crack a code and, and get to another level and maybe have a coming of age moment where instead of absorbing, they start more contributing. 
-hmm. How about this? Here's a great example. COVID hits, right? And, and chaos is in Costa Rica. We could only allow 50% of people here. People are going home. It was just all over the place. A lot of the people that I depended upon, really, and thought were going to step up to the plate, disappointed me so. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, there were individuals that were new or just, you know, on the side that really showed me leadership and loyalty and wanting to win. I couldn't be more grateful. And I also couldn't be more humble in regards to that. So really, it's about giving to the people, but also what I get in return. And what I've gotten in return here is a luxury trade and a beautiful life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my greatest win, Michael, is being very true to my 18-year-old self in Philadelphia that said, hey, Richie, why don't we just go for a Spanish career and see where it goes? Mm -hmm. And here we are today. So um, it's almost difficult to put into words and perspective. Mm -hmm. But just my main thing is that if you have this sort of vision quest, mm -hmm. this sort of spiritual journey that pulls you and you could feel it. And as long as your intentions are honorable and you're doing things with good faith, you know, you can pretty much get past your parents' guilt and live anywhere in the world. And that's what I decided to do when I was 27. And this is where we are today at 49. Yes. Nice. So moving forward, um, sort of like the call center world, how do you look at your business in terms of, you know, I think maybe... There, there, you know, there's some CEOs that just want to scale to be like, you know, the next billion dollar business. Um, I would love to learn from you. What are your, like, how do you approach your business in terms of like growth and how, like, do you set goals for yourself? Like I want to be, you know, I'm X revenue this, this year. I want to be X revenue next year. Like, how do you approach growth and kind of, do you ride a wave of like, you know, you grow as things come in or do you grow as like, hey, I want to just, you know, continually like actually make this like even bigger, bigger every year. What's your thoughts there? Two things affected my growth. Uh, the one is Amazon that came to Costa Rica. They increased our payrolls by about 20 percent. I mean, if they're the largest and they can pay more, we had to raise our rates, which meant that they were we were less competitive price wise with mm -hmm. offshore call centers in India and the Philippines. So that affected a lot of my business in the last three years when we had to raise our rates. The second thing is putting rates aside, I would prefer that for scalability that clients judge me on merit. As I mentioned before, if the metrics aren't there and I can't point five an hour or something, it doesn't make sense to work with me. Mm -hmm. But if someone has a half decent budget and they wanna ask me in regards to my experience and, and as I mentioned, the merit here, and the sort of caliber that we can bring to them and the accountability and structure, then I'm definitely worth my money. Mm -hmm. And so those are the things, as much as I want to grow my business, I have certain factors here in regards to price and expectations that has held me back from converting certain calls that come in. They love me and want to work with me, but sometimes their budget gets in the way. So does it, so it sounds as though the, you know, you have the competitive landscape and you're working with some of the, like your network of business and then some people that are coming in. Do you ever do like outreach as well to try to like find new clients or is this mainly, you know, oh, things? okay. And, and as I say before, there's, 
how many businesses in the States we could cold call each one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're, we're very selective on the outreach that we do. We do more, as you were mentioning, of, of networking and marketing. Uh, but I'm very heavy with search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. So I've written a lot of articles and we're probably the number one site here in Costa Rica in regards to BPO, telemarketing, call centers here. Mm-hmm. And so if anybody attempts to look up nearshore Central America or even Costa Rica BPO, we got them. And I have plenty of business that comes in. I don't know if I would want to scale between 150 to 1,000 agents tomorrow. I would take it. I would do it. I would bring in a lot of people. Would it be a comfortable level for me? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. Because as I mentioned before, we're only as good as our uh, stability. And unless I can ensure a one to 10 or one to 15 supervisor to agent ratio. So I'd have to be hiring 10 to 15 amazing supervisors off the bat for the thousand. That would be my challenge. That's where I would see it. Yeah. I'm telling um okay so we're gonna talk about um i love this question and it's more or less what do you know about something in the world that you know a lot of a lot of the general population just doesn't know um it could be something that is within the call center arena of like hey this is what's coming down in this type of environment slash um business could be something else in your personal life what's something that uh that you would think about I can share what our experiences were with the work from home agents and in regards to their performances. I, I believe that they are hitting their numbers and they're doing well, but I've also seen um, they feel isolated and distant. Mm. And a lot of the friendships that were built here mm-hmm. um, aren't as close as they once were mm-hmm. because there was a lot of, so, as I mentioned, there was a culture that we had here of pop corn Fridays, eating pizza in the game room. People would go out after work, um, after a shift. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our essence as a call center was the brick and mortar, mm-hmm. was the walking the rows and was building that sort of teamwork together. So what we've lost is some of that on-site training and uh, culture building. So a lot of the scaling we do is really just virtual agents that really haven't even met us. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame. I mean, they're great employees, nice people when we say hello, but mm-hmm. there's a huge difference mm-hmm. of sitting next to somebody for a period of time mm-hmm. and feeding off of that energy. And if someone has a good call to slap them five. So my industry has a, a adjusted and adapted and they don't travel as much. They save money. They're at home with their family. But every CEO of a call center will say that you have lost that sort of feeling that we have. Cause a lot of companies, people don't know each other and they don't talk, mm-hmm. but it's very interesting in an environment where people, all they do is talk <laughs> very social. <laughs> yeah. and, and it was very important for me, Michael, to use this happy medium of the game room. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Let's say Monday morning at 7. AM, you have a class for a brand new uh, campaign Class really doesn't start till 7.30. From 7 to 7.30, the 15 agents are in the game room with me and their supervisor meeting each other, playing Pac-Man, having fun. Mm -hmm. So when they go into the training room, they're warmed up. Everyone knows everybody. And we start strong. Mm -hmm. And without giving away my business model, I really, really were focusing on the agents Mm -hmm. and building that sort of rapport and relationship. And And I do my best virtually. 
But I will say this, it's almost like having one arm tied behind your back. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I think that a lot of people can, can relate um, and, and they sort of forget because the, it's sort of like the new normal, right. Where it's, you know, people are remote and then it's just hard to quantify, right. What that feeling of pizza after work and beers after work really matter, like really means and matters. Um, I can say this off my first uh, experience. It's crazy because I've worked in a tech startup where I essentially didn't meet anyone for over a year. Um, and then I met people in person. I was like, wow, like you are completely different than I, what I imagined. And it was, it's weird to know that because I was like, oh, I've been working with you for a year. And then within a couple of minutes of meeting, there was a whole shift in the terms of like our comfortability slash our relationship. And uh, so I can definitely experience, I definitely understand a little bit about that. And even um, my most recent um, job, like, you know, they had us all for an offsite and, you know, just meeting people in general, just skyrocketed that trust, that familiarity, that ability to answer and ask questions. Um, what about the psychological side, Michael, yeah. where you can let off steam or recharge your batteries? It's very tough to do that alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's the crazy aspect um, too, is that be, being that I also work remote um, during the week, just, you know, it's, a, it's a major grind, even though I talk to people like on zooms all day and it's just, it's still a major grind. And if I don't, you know, meet people on the weekends, like in real life, um, just to like crack jokes and stuff um, it's, you know, it can definitely be a, a stress builder. Um, the, Last two questions I'd like to ask. Um, one is if you could meet anyone in the history of the world, who to meet and why? My hero okay. and a master communicator, the late Helen Keller. <laughs> I would have loved to have met Helen Keller. And on so many reasons, so many levels. And what would I ask this genius mm-hmm. of communication? First is I would love to see the different mediums of communication in which she communicated. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the old photographs of Helen Keller, she, there were so many ways she would communicate, but one of them was reading lips. And so imagine her touching the lips of Eisenhower and Kennedy, mm. and Charles Chaplin, and Mark Twain and Edison. And she inspired me because in the call center industry, mm-hmm. we lose three of our senses we lose our taste, touch, and smell. Since mm-hmm. it's a controlled environment and the scientists say, if you lose one of your senses, the others expand. You should be doing twice as much active listening. But then people say, we can't see anybody on the phone. And I say, Michael, quite the contrary. There's, you know, books are better than the movies. You do know this and imagination is wonderful. So I, I expect enhanced image streaming. Mm-hmm. So you could be more descriptive on the phone. And so why am I mentioning Helen Keller? because this individual was able to communicate so many ways, was so effective, was such an influence. There's a Helen Keller Institute here in Desamparados, Costa Rica for blind and deaf children. Mm -hmm. And so to me, communication is done through so many ways, even a smile is universal. Mm -hmm. And since we are limited here, and I realized that certain senses were taken away, I wanted to study the genius and I wanted to know why she was so effective. Mm. And I took her senses and reversed it to what we're doing here for just that sort of enhanced experience. I, I know I got a little deep there, but it's very important for me 
that Costa Ricans understand who this individual was in history, why there's an institute here, and why when you are limiting certain senses, other ones could be expanded. Mm. And so for me, and we don't have the time today, but I have mastered phonetic microexpression reading to give you non-visual tell signs on the phone. Because mm. you're a salesman, it's the perfect tell sign to ask a tie-down question or a confirmation question. Mm. And so these are some of the advanced soft skills that we go over on the phone to, to make the agents, Michael, more self-reliant and self-confident. So to answer your question, yes, sir. Miss Helen Keller, I would have loved to have spent as much time as she would have spent with me. And I just would have been in awe the entire time. Nice. That's a unique answer. Um, I've In my entire history of ask, asking that question to people, I've never gotten Helen Keller. Um, and you so never will again. Yeah, <laughs> it's just really me. Cool. You have a poster of her in the office. Yeah, that's super cool. I've, I remember watching the movie about her back in the day. Um, and just, you know, the, the type of people that can, you know, do that type of work, I like is immensely um, like powerful, like the type of people who have that level of patience, that level of drive, that level of energy to not quit and be able to help others like that. I think it's really cool. Um, wrapping up. Um, one thing I like to sort of end the show with is sort of share some alpha. Um, and what I mean by alpha is some helpful hints, tips, um, for like that regular Joe that just, you know, is, is working, could be anything about love, life, relationships, entrepreneurship, um, just a message that you want to share um, with the world, you know, for the regular Joe to just sort of make it. Thank you, Michael. I, I just like to share with your audience about having me time. Yeah, I said it, me time. For me personally, I like to work out in the gym in the morning. That's, that's my time. I, I like to wash my convertible on the weekends and, and play pinball marathons. And, and, and why do I have my own me time? It's not that I don't want to spend time with my family, friends, or my wife. I need my moments. Now, I, I wish I had the structure and discipline to do Eastern meditation, mm-hmm. but I don't. <laughs> but I have other ways in which I can tap into certain centers Mm-hmm. of myself mm-hmm. and it's very important for me to be able to have those moments so I can put things in perspective I can chill out for a minute I can be extremely appreciative of what I'm doing at that moment which is my pastime that I love how I got there mm-hmm. and it almost prepares me for the week that's coming and so if anybody needs to take a walk for a half an hour in the evenings, or I do really encourage working out. So that's the triple. You can really get so much out of that. But make sure to give yourself some time because there's so much going on every day. Put the phone away, mm-hmm. right? And, and, just, and just let your mind wander for a little bit. And you will see that that's very healthy for you. Mm-hmm. And when you let the dust settle sometimes and, and you review what was going if it's conflict management or, or, or something else you can sometimes fix things before you break things Definitely. and that my opinion my good friend is is how i'd like to end today with my best advice cool well there you guys have it uh me time make sure you take care of yourselves because uh, if you don't you can't take care of anyone else um so thanks again for tuning in um thanks richard for joining and uh Look forward to seeing what is next for you guys.